Hi, peeps. You're listening to She's My Cherry Pie, the baking podcast from the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jesse Sheehan. I'm a baker, recipe developer, and author of three baking books, including my latest, Snackable Bakes. Each Saturday, I'm hanging out with the sweetest bakers around and taking a deep dive into their signature bakes. Today, I'm talking to Deb Perlman, the beloved blogger behind Smitten Kitchen, which celebrates, as Deb puts it, triumphant but unfussy cooking. And I would add, baking as well. Deb is the author of three New York Times best-selling cookbooks, including her latest, Smitten Kitchen Keepers, New Classics for Your Forever Files. The recipes on Smitten Kitchen and in Deb's books are meticulously and exhaustively tested, which means they always work, like always, which is why I am so excited to talk with her today about chocolate chip cookies. Might seem like a simple subject, but folks, it is anything but. Deb and I walk through not one, but all five chocolate chip cookie recipes on Smitten Kitchen, as well as do a deep dive into her latest chocolate chip cookie recipe in Keepers. So that's half a dozen, for those of you keeping track. We talk about resting cookie dough, the importance of cookie size, and how to get perfectly round cookies every time, if that's your jam. Stay tuned for my chat with Deb. Thank you to Plugra Premium European-Style Butter for supporting today's show. You might be new to Plugra Premium European-Style Butter, but it's been a favorite in my fridge for some time. Whether I'm baking for fun or for work or developing recipes for my next cookbook, Plugra and its 82% butter fat are essential. The color, soft, creamy texture, and rich flavor it brings to my pie dough cannot be beat. And my chocolate chip cookies, they're chewier and pudgier. The higher butterfat content means less moisture and more fat, which is precisely what you're looking for. Remember, fat equals flavor. Plugra European-style butter is available in different forms for all your baking, cooking, and snacking needs, including salted and unsalted, sticks and solids. I'm partial to unsalted plugra. If you've learned anything listening to She's My Cherry Pie, it's that ingredients matter. The next time you bake, reach for plugra and taste the difference it makes. From professional kitchens to your home kitchen, plugra premium European-style butter is the perfect choice. Ask for Plugra at your favorite supermarket or specialty grocery store. Now let's check in with today's guest. Deb, <laughs> so excited to have you on She's My Cherry Pie and to talk chocolate chip cookies and so much more with you. Before we dive into cookies, I just wanted to briefly chat about you. You are the OG food blogger behind Smitten Kitchen, an almost 17-year-old food blog. I think its birthday might be in July. It might be. It might be in July. <laughs> the New Yorker has called Smitten Kitchen the blog. Now, you have said that you were, quote, down with being called a blogger, which I think implies that maybe not everyone wants to be referred to that way. So can you unpack why you don't mind the title and why others might? Well, first of all, thank you for the introduction. <laughs> um, and yes, the site is turning 17, which I've joked it's probably going to get its driver's license before me. <laughs> so there's this idea that you're supposed to, like, change what you're doing. But I really just love 
the site. I mean, I know I do other things besides the website, but I really love the format. I am lucky I kind of stumbled into it because it perfectly matches what I want to put out there, which is like a little bit of talking about the recipe in a place where we can have a conversation and I can share pictures and tidbits and links to random things that made me laugh. And so I love the format. And I still consider it the very center of what I do, even though I'm also doing cookbooks and other things. You've also said that you're a complainer in your head. And I think that means you're kind of nitpicky about recipes and making them work. How do you think that contributes to people's enthusiasm for the blog and for your own enthusiasm for the blog? <laughs> I have this, and I'm going to just sidetrack here for a second. I have a seven-year-old, and she's, I talk about her on the site because she's notoriously picky. She kind of hates. People are like, oh, your kids must eat. So I'm like, oh, my daughter hates my cooking. She hates everything I make. She's so picky. And I really will sit there and say it with a straight face being like, how did she get so picky? I am so picky. When you cook for a living, you can be such a good closeted picky person. People don't notice that much how much stuff you don't like. They only see what you do put out. And so I think that a lot of things that I make, I'm coming at them from a perspective quietly on the inside of thinking, sometimes quietly, sometimes not quietly, of thinking like, these are usually so average. Why am I bothering making this? Isn't it usually so bland? It always comes out dry. I never like the flavor here. Those little complaints in my head, it took me a while to realize that's actually the starting point of the recipe that I'd like it to be. So it's a little bit whiny on my side of things, but hopefully it comes out a little more helpful on yours. Now, you've said you want your blog to be the place that one goes to find their new favorite things to cook and bake, and I can attest it is. Tell us what people find at Smitten Kitchen and what they won't find. What I'm hoping you'll find is something you want to make explained in a way that makes sense to you. I would like all of the hurdles and fusses to be removed that I can. I can't remove everything. Yeast still has to arrive. Things have to proof. Certain things have to be chilled or they don't set right. But if there's anything I can remove, I will. And that's because I'm a little bit lazy at home too. And I don't really want to go through all those steps. And I don't want to wash a lot of dishes. So if I can do it in one bowl, I will. So I hope you'll find recipes that feel like the most doable version of it, but also a very airtight version to know that I worried a lot because I was terrified that you would come to the site today, make the very first recipe you saw, and it would flop on you. I understand how betraying that feels, like the betrayal of like a recipe that doesn't work when you took time you didn't have or like money you didn't have for groceries or energy you didn't have and you put them into this recipe and then it flopped and you just you feel so frustrated. So I don't want that to happen to anyone on my site on my time, which means that every recipe has always worked for every person (laughs) since the beginning of time. (laughs) Nothing. There have been no negative comments. (laughs) Ever, ever, ever. Ever. But the goal, the goal is for everything to work. Yeah. There is one item that you are definitely finding when perusing Smitten Kitchen, (laughs) and that item is chocolate chip cookie recipes. By my count, you have five different ones, and you have seven if you count oatmeal chocolate chip cookies and chocolate chip shortbread cookies. And also, there is a fantastic new and approved chocolate chip cookie recipe in your amazing new book, Smitten Kitchen Keepers. And we are definitely going to do the deepest of dives into that. But before we do, I just wanted to talk about the five recipes on the site briefly and chronologically, because I thought it would be super cool to understand Deb Perlman's evolution of chocolate chip cookie recipe <laughs> development. But I think it's cool. I, I yeah. mean, all right, Thank I'm you. a nerd, but I really think <laughs> you it's are cool. A That's okay. That's why we're here. <laughs> That's why we're here. <laughs> to begin, I thought it might be helpful if I just remind the listeners what's in a Toll House cookie. Yeah. Because the Toll House cookie is the mother. She That's... is the mother recipe. Everything that comes after it is based on that. So Toll House is all-purpose flour. It's baking soda. It's salt, butter. It's granulated sugar and brown 
just I'll mention this here, but it's an equal amount in the standard recipe. Vanilla eggs, semi-sweet chocolate chips. And peeps, it's a winner. If you have never made the one right off the bag, it's a good one. So the first recipe <laughs> is January of 2008. So oh 15, God. I know, crazy. Wild. 15 years ago. So how old was the blog then? It was a little baby. This recipe compared to Toll House has a little less flour, butter, eggs than Toll House, a little more sugar, chocolate, vanilla, salt. It also has loads of kind of toasted nuts in it. Mm -hmm. I think they're pecans. And you kind of talk about wanting those nuts to become almost dust-like, some Mm -hmm. of them, so that that's adding, I'm sure, to the texture. It's an interesting recipe. It's a very low temperature. You bake it at 300 for a long time, like 18 minutes. It's a basic chocolate chip cookie recipe-ish. Do you recall what drew you to it? Well, the funny thing is, so it's January 2008. Somebody said it's like, what, 13 months old, 14 months old? I could throw around words like favorite without having the gravitas that I require to use the word favorite these days. In fact, I'm terrified to use the word favorite because I've realized that I'm going to evolve. I'm going to have my favorite chewy chocolate chip cookie, my favorite crispy one. I'm going to have my favorite tall one. So it's so tricky to say that. But at the time, it was early. And I'm like, these are my favorite what you should say is right now. And I'm not saying I do not love them still, but at the time, I had grown up on Toll House. We wanted to make chocolate chip cookies. We made the recipe off the back of the bag. But, you know, we used this regular Toll House chocolate chips. Nobody rested the dough. <laughs> and that was it. Okay, so this is a very unpopular opinion. I feel like most people don't like nuts in their cookies. I understand why people don't want it in, like, banana bread or zucchini bread. Sometimes it's sort of like that interruption of texture. But I feel like in a chocolate chip cookie, it can really add texture. You get that extra crumbly crunch that isn't just sugar or Mm -hmm. chocolate. Mm -hmm. So you can get a lot more texture without just sweetening or making it heavier. So I really liked it. And I really like toasting them well and then chopping them very small. So you don't necessarily recognize it as a chunk of nut. It's just a great extra texture. I know. I think you even write in the head note that the nuts are such that some people will eat them and not realize. I mean, obviously, allergens, we want to be careful. But that people will eat that cookie and they may think, oh, I'm very anti-nut. And then they eat it and they can't even tell. And you could tell I was surrounded by sharks who were like, ugh, why are you putting nuts in cookies? I was like extremely (laughs) defensive about my position that it was okay to have nuts sometimes, and you can definitely hear that in the text. I love that. All right, the next recipe, which you describe as the consummate recipe, came in November 2008, so almost a year later. It was written by David Leet for Mm. the New York Times, and this is like a really, I mean, listeners, I can't stress this enough. This is a really important recipe. I feel like I'm doing like a news show, but it's like we're not talking about something serious. It was a big about viral moment before it, we really had viral recipes. It was. It was. So it was a really important recipe, which changed the chocolate chip cookie game for all of us. What David does with this recipe is, okay, there's no more all-purpose flour. Now we have cake and bread flour. We have baking powder as well as baking soda. We have fewer eggs, vanilla, and salt than Toll House. Now we have a little more chocolate. And we're moving into this thing which a lot of recipes start to do, which is having more brown sugar than granulated. In Toll House, as I said, it's an equal amount. So when you wrote about this recipe, which was amazing, you flagged for all of us what made it a game changer. First, the dough resting. Tell mm-hmm. us why. And that was huge that we were resting dough. And, you know, it was super interesting. So I think we were in a moment with, like, City Bakery and Jacques Torres and all these places had really popular chocolate. Co- Before there were cronut lines, there were chocolate chip cookie lines. And they had these chocolate chip cookies, these bakery style ones. And they were larger and they were more chocolatey and they were browner and they were heavier. 
and they were a real moment. They often had sprinkles of salt on top, and they weren't. They were not Toll House. They were. They really had nothing to do with. And most of these bakers. So he, I remember, he talked to all these bakeries. And he talked to all these bakers. They weren't sharing the recipe, but they all added tips on like how to make it more like the ones that everybody was obsessing over in New York. And from that, he learned about dough rusting, and so did we. Maybe he already knew about it, but uh, we were talking about dough rusting, and it's basically this idea that as the flour hydrates, you get a better texture out of the cookies. It's a real commitment. I think it was like 24 to 36 or 48 hours, which means that you have to be a person who wants to make a chocolate chip cookie that you will eat in a couple days. I don't know what kind of chocolate chip cookie person you are. <laughs> Do you, are you making it because you think in two days you might crave it? No, I want it now. So you had to be a real adult about it. You had to get some adult ingredients. So they wanted you to get these Falrona fabs, which are, I think, an eighth of an ounce each. They're tiny, and they're oval-shaped discs, and they had a very particular quality, and they were expensive, and they were hard to get. So there were a whole bunch of things. So it was the dough resting the fevs. I think it was also, and you described it when you were talking about size. Size. It, it was so the idea cute. of the three textures. Mm-hmm. If you have the huge cookie, you have a crispy edge, mm-hmm. a chewy ring, and then a soft center. And you're so right, because I read this, of course, in your blog post. <laughs> but what David did was, I think he interviewed Maury Rubin from Absolutely. City Bakery, maybe Jock Hi, Torres. Hi, Maury, we miss you. <laughs> I so think good. he interviewed Dory Greenspan, who said everything needs salt. salt. But you're exactly right. It was so interesting how David picked what each of these people said. I can't remember where he got the all-purpose bread flour. At that time, Smitten Kitchen was as much a a log of cooking I was doing that was fascinating me. And so that's how it ended up there, where I made it pretty much the way he wanted us to and talked about what made it interesting and shared it with readers and what worked for me and, like, what I would do differently. And it was great. And it wasn't until many years later that I was like, okay, that's cool, but that's not really the way I make them anymore. Yes. And we're going to get to that, <laughs> yeah. listeners, I promise, because that's our most re- <laughs> our most recent cookie in 2016. That was the David Leet recipe. That was a consummate chocolate chip cookie recipe. I encourage you all to Google that. You'll find it in the New York Times. It's really an interesting recipe. Then cut to 2009. You have a crispy, chewy recipe on the site, which is actually from all recipes, which I kind of love that you were Mm -hmm. finding recipes in all different kinds of places. This one was great. I mean, no rest, Mm -hmm. which, as Deb and I just discussed, is not for (laughs) everyone. No rest. It had a little less flour, less butter than Toll House, and it also melted the butter, a little more brown sugar than white sugar, more vanilla, a yolk instead of an egg, which I Mm -hmm. thought was a really cool Mm -hmm. addition that adds moisture, same amounts of chocolate, and lots of vanilla, which I also loved. Do you remember what drew you to, I mean, besides everything I just mentioned, was there something particular about that recipe? I think back then, so let's see, it's early 2009, and I think I'm starting to shift a little bit from the first couple years of my site, where I'm starting to get more into like, but what do I want? And Mm. I started thinking, like, I've gotten to the super fussy chefy. I'm like, if it's early, I'm probably pregnant with my first kid. And I'm like, what do I really want? And I remembered that I've been making this one. And I used to make them really large as part of ice cream sandwiches for parties. But I remember I used to use this cookie. And I was like, I kind of wanted to get back to it because I was remembering, and this is my 80s childhood, but the Duncan Hines crispy chewy commercials. Do you remember those? 100%. That song. I'm not going to sing it, but you know the song. Yes. My mom was like a big homemade person. But my God, that commercial would come on and we would beg my mom to buy them. And she would once in a while because who could say no to us? We're so charming. Right. 
that's where I wanted to get back to channeling. I started wanting to get back to like simpler things that I felt like worked for a wider audience. And I, I got back to this one and I'm like, I feel like this is the one I'm going to make on a Thursday night more often. Yep. I love that, which makes sense to me because all of the ingredients are speaking to me and I'm like a Thursday night chocolate chip cookie person. Yeah. You're not, not a Thursday night. I might want it on I, Sunday. I, I might want this on Monday. Uh, yeah, I'm going to make them now. Oh, uh, yeah. that's. Not but me. if you are showing off, if I'm having people over and I want to like, I mean, pretty much up until the cookie we're going to talk about at the end. If I was like, we're going to have a dinner party and let's just something really fun with dessert, I would bang out that crazy complicated one. Yeah. I would do the bakery style one because that's the one that people just can't believe you can make at home. It's right. such a flex. And also, I just want to say that when you do do that, mm-hmm. you bake them off while your guests are there so that you are serving warm cookies. Yes. Is that a yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. And right? my father-in-law used to say, used to say, it was so nice <laughs> of you to include a little cookie to connect the pieces of chocolate, which was high praise. <laughs> right. Right. Very decorative. But I feel the same way. If I go to someone's house, even though I don't want to annoy the host, I will say, I want to bring cookies, but can I bring them not baked? And then can I use your oven? Right? Don't mind at all. Yeah. Because don't mind. It's really fun to do a dessert while people are just hanging out, eating. Yeah. Like, oh, I just whipped these up. Okay, so then 2015, we're still talking. This is the amazing thing. I took a little break after that, right? Like, you there's did. A nice, there's a nice you, break in you there. You did. You took six years. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I'd covered it. Yeah. So then 2015, salted chocolate chunk cookie hits the site. It's an Ashley Rodriguez recipe. It's kind of, it has a funny or atypical baking temp, which I thought I would mention. It bakes at 360. Mm-hmm. It has a little more sugar, more flour, more vanilla, more soda, more chocolate than Toll House. No rest. And Ashley adds a little turbinado sugar, which so nice. which is a really nice kind of interesting addition. And what you've said about this cookie that I read on the site is it's like a crumbly dough that's purpose is just to hold the chocolate in place. It's really lovely. I remember she had, I think it was her first cookbook was called Date Night In. It was such a lovely, lovely book. It still is. It's a wonderful book. And I remember these chocolate chip cookies were having such a moment that I wanted to try my hand in it. And it was so refreshing after sort of battling my two energies of like, do I want the Toll House style that I grew up with or like Duncan Hines style? Or do I want this absolute showy bakery? You know, I think there's all types of chocolate chip cookie bakers yes. in the world. But then there was Ashley Rodriguez, and it's it's a little thicker. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's less hydrated. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you bake it right away, mm-hmm. and it doesn't spread. And it has quite a bit of chocolate in it, and the chocolate is chopped in chunks. And I really like the raw sugar in there because I don't know about you, but if you ever buy that turbinado raw I sugar do. machine, whenever I open the jar, it smells like toasted sugar without having to toast the sugar. So it has that toasty quality, and so you don't have to add the moisture of brown sugar yeah. to get that toasty quality. It's funny. I almost always use it exclusively just, like, to put it on muffins, to put, mm-hmm. put it on loaf yeah. cakes because you get a kind of a bakery sparkle and crunch. And, yeah. and so I love it. But I don't think about actually using it as an ingredient inside the dough or inside my batter. So I thought that was really interesting. It felt to me like very of the moment and a very like modern way to approach a chocolate chip cookie. Yeah. Like I said, you know, hand chopped chocolate, some raw sugar, which is becoming very readily available and not terribly expensive. So it felt like really great of the moment. I think that's what took me out of my, I'm not doing any more chocolate chip cookies. I'm done with the chocolate chip. The chocolate chip cookie chapter needs to come to an end. <laughs> I also think even in 2015, that would have been a big deal to have a cookie that was getting a lot of attention that you didn't have to rest because everybody was resting. I would be on the lookout for that. You know what? There's a really yummy cookie out there and no one is asking me to rest that. And you could get good bar chocolate. It's not like it's not like it's either Tall House chips or bakers on sweetened squares. There's so much more out there. So you can go take that good chocolate bar a friend brought you and chop it up into this cookie. Totally. 
Okay, then the last one we're going to discuss before we do the latest from Keepers is 2016. It's that consummate, that David Lee consummate recipe revisited. So this is seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Still, for most of us, well, it's a long time ago, but it's not compared to when cookies were first on Deb's site. What I love is it's just exactly what you've said. You wanted to simplify that recipe. You loved it, but you wanted to simplify it. And this is so smart. Bread flour plus cake flour doesn't that equal all-purpose flour? I mean, that's what I found. But I should also say that, like, my goals are not what the original cookies' goals were. I respect that. Like, the original cookies, it's about getting a bakery cookie at home. And my thought is, how can I get it as bakery-like as possible with what I'm willing to do and what I can easily get at home? And the reality is that I'd gone through a phase where I started making them a lot again over a couple years before. And every time I can't ever make something the same way twice, except for from testing. So I'm always tweaking. And so one time I just took the weights of both the flours and started using with all purpose. And the next time I needed to adjust it is a little bit more. And then I was like, well, what if I use these discs that cost a little less. You know, so I started playing around with just being a little, just so I could make them at home right. more often. And that was really where I led. And then I was at this point where I felt like I was had this great recipe I wasn't sharing. And so I almost like reluctantly went back and I said, listen, the recipe is different. I hate to beat a dead horse, but it's very different. And it's a lot easier now. So you might put next to leads and not feel it's exciting. But for me, this was everything I wanted that cookie to do. But no way I could do it at home. And I have a question, then. I should know the answer. Yeah. But but bread flour is, is higher protein than all-purpose, and then cake flour is less protein. I'm about than... to get in trouble with this because I always think of cake flour as having less protein, but now I'm not positive. Okay. So I don't want – I feel like I, I like I could Google it. It is theoretically because it's usually got a bit of starch in there to soften, but I'm not sure. Okay. Because so. I think, to me at least, when I read that, it makes sense that if you could combine bread and cake, you might get something. Now, obviously – That's where my brain was when I was doing right. it, and I did – find that I was very happy with the rolls. Again, my goal is not about making you feel like you're, I mean, I, I want you to have that quality, yeah. but like with what you can use. And if I could get that recipe, what was to me as close of a place as I could find it while using it, that's what I'm, you know, again, that was not necessarily my calling in 2008, but it's everything I think about now and I, in those years. And I also want to say that you basically turned it into a one bowl-ish or a one bowl mm -hmm. recipe. Absolutely. You did keep some fancy chocolate. What I also just want to say is I have a thing. I'm sure to some degree you do. I feel like a lot of recipe developers shout this out now, which is number of ingredients. Like what's nice about combining cake and bread and just saying it's all purpose is also that you're not looking at such a long ingredient list. No shame at all for people that write intricate, complicated recipes with lots of different ingredients. Amazing. Mm -hmm. But when you are trying to simplify, it's also nicer to think, oh, rather than have both of those, could I just do one of those? Yeah. I, yeah. So I, I like, it's, applaud that It's as really well. all about your – and honestly, half my friends don't even have regular flour at home, nonetheless three kinds. It's just about who the audience is, what yes. your goal is. And I've always, as I said, I think his cookie did a great job. And I love the version that I did yes. many years later where I feel like this is what I want out of that cookie yes. as a more confident home cook who can really work a recipe to be what I yes. want it to. And if memory serves, you were still resting it, correct? I am still resting it. Believe me, I tried to do it. You, can, you cannot rest it. It tends yeah. a little flatter and a little puffier. Yep. Yep. I hate that the resting helps it. I, I fought know. it. I fight it. Well, but... we're going to get into this when yeah. we talk about the recipe <laughs> from Keepers. We front-loaded three chocolate chip cookies, and then there was one from a great book that was out, and then I had to, you know, came back. I sort of reluctantly reworked this one, and I, you know, but the second decade of Spin Kitchen has had far fewer chocolate chip it's... cookies because I felt like, all right, we've covered this. We'll be right back. If you love She's My Cherry Pie, I have something else I think you'll love. 
It's Cherry Bomb magazine, and it's the most beautiful food magazine out there. Cherry Bomb features women and culinary creatives in and around the worlds of food, drink, hospitality, and baking, of course. Each issue is thick and gorgeous and printed on lush paper. There are features, profiles, full-page photos, and recipes you'll want to make. Cherry Bomb Magazine is printed in Rhode Island at an independent, family-owned printing press, and they do work for the top artists and art galleries around the world. So you know, every issue of Cherry Bomb is top-notch. Subscribe now and receive four issues of Cherry Bomb, one each season, delivered direct to your door. To learn more, visit cherrybomb.com backslash subscribe. Now back to our guest. Okay, so this is interesting. Despite all these fantastic <laughs> five chocolate chip cookie recipes on the site, I know that you always struggled with saying if somebody asked you what was your favorite or which one was perfect. Can you tell us why you couldn't come up with favorite or perfect from those five? Well, first of all, as a naive, youthful blogger, I decided to call something my favorite early on. And people love it. So I'm like, I feel like I can't touch it. But I don't – favorite? I mean, it was the favorite then. <laughs> The book, I really wanted it to be about the forever recipes. And if I was being honest with myself, none of those are. They're all wonderful in different ways, but it wasn't my favorite chocolate chip cookie, my ultimate favorite, what I think a chocolate chip cookie should be. And from there... I think I just have to go for it because I think I know what I want it to be. Well, that's what's amazing about Deb's book, Keepers, because it is all that. It is those – well, you describe it. Tell us what the recipes are. and <laughs> You kind of did when you just mentioned the cookie, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Oh, so Smitten Kitchen Keepers is supposed to be just recipes for your forever files. I understand it's a very tall order. But in each of them, I was thinking, you know, what is my keeper version of this? Maybe it's not the most accessible chocolate chip cookie, but if I was being honest about, like, there's my favorite forever egg salad, there's my favorite forever roast chicken, that kind of thing. And a lot of this is the culmination of all of the years I've been cooking and the things that I've learned, trying things that I thought were my favorite and kind of putting them together with what I always thought they were more of. And so there's a bit of audacity there, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so with each of those, I was like, what is my real forever favorite of this, and I'm like, it's not any of these chocolate chip cookies. It's this other thing I haven't made yet. So there we go. <laughs> so, and we are so lucky that we get to talk about it right now. <laughs> so, the chocolate chip cookie in Keepers is called chocolate chip cookies with salted walnut brittle. And when describing these, you have said, dun, da, 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 this is the most perfect chocolate chip cookie I could dream up. Can you tell us why? <laughs> so I think a lot of times when you use things like butter and brown sugar and you toast it nicely in the oven, we talk about caramel, fla like a toffee flavor, a caramelized flavor. Everyone says it. I never get it. Like I get glimpses of it, a whiff of it. But I was like, what if you put actual caramel on the cookie, like an actual crumbly toffee bit. And also, as I admitted early on, I do like nuts in my cookies, but I think the thing is that the nut itself can be a little bland. What if we coated it in this sort of salted, crumbly toffee? Then you'd get those bits of toffee, you'd get those extra crunchy nuts, and you'd really get that huge flavor boost inside the cookie without anything too crazy in the ingredient list. But then I had to convince people to make toffee, which I understand is not something people... But I could not... Like, there are no more steps I can take out of that toffee. It could not... There, it could not be simpler. 
it's an easy, brittle caramel yeah. situation to make. And you said, and this is so Deb, but that, quote unquote, you or the reader will feel triumphant at having learned a new cooking trick. Brittle is an amazing thing to know how yeah, to make. Brittle is so good. You can just eat it. You don't yeah. even have to put it in a cookie. It's such a fun thing. And I it really is just it's just granulated sugar in a pot until it melts. If the color is a little off, if you go a step a degree too high or degree, it doesn't matter. You're just looking for like a nice nutty brown. We add the nuts, just a handful of them. You mix it together, you pour it out on a piece of parchment paper on a tray, you throw it in the freezer five, ten minutes. 15 tops, and then you just crumble this up and into you've got the cookie. Brittle. It's I mean, incredible. Literally, it's, it's just sugar, nuts, and salt. I love it. We're now going to do this deep dive into mm-hmm. this recipe. <laughs> just because we did it with the other cookies, I just thought I would mention the Toll House comparison here. Mm. So in this recipe, it's a little bit more flour. Then Toll House is that one we discussed, peeps. It's like the mother of all chocolate chip mm-hmm. cookie recipes. A little bit more flour, a little bit more sugar, a little bit more chocolate, vanilla, soda, and an interesting addition, which is baking powder, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about. So first things first, we're preheating our ovens to 350. We're grabbing two baking sheets, a smallish one and a large-ish one. Do you have a favorite brand of baking sheet? I don't. I feel like okay. I'm supposed to, but I, every time I buy a new one, I'm like, I don't think this is what I want it to be. So okay. Good to know. And then you're lining with parchment paper. Uh-huh. I wondered, do you like parchment that comes in sheets? Do you like it I on a roll? I love the Kana brand parchment sheets in part because I find their nonstick quality would be excellent without being too heavy or coated where I feel like I'm creating a low unfill. And I love that they come in those, they come in these boxes that I can kind of keep it bookshelf style on top mm-hmm. of my fridge, which is really important in a small kitchen, and they don't flop over. So I basically just have like a, well, I, if I said record collection of parchment <laughs> squares, you'd be like, what are you talking about? But it would be the way like records would look on, a, on, on grandpa's bookshelves. <laughs> can you say the name of the company? Kana, K-A-N-A. Oh, I, just, I don't even know Oh, they've know got it. very cute little boxes. Oh. I have that brand parchment, and I usually have some Reynolds, too. Mm-hmm. But as I said, I really use those sheets a lot, and mm-hmm. they're a splurge, which is to say I'm incredibly cheap about things. But it is very nice to have pre-cut sheets when you're baking a lot. I agree. All right. First things first, we're going to make a walnut brittle. And I know the brittle is adding flavor, and it's adding texture. And you've said it makes for chocolate chip cookie nirvana. They're simple to make. You pour some granulated sugar into a medium-large skillet. Do you have a brand of skillet? And do you like to use not like a dark cast iron so you can see the color of the sugar, or does it not matter? I don't usually use a cast iron. I'm usually okay. using a stainless steel. I probably have one from All Cloud I use okay. a lot. Or sometimes, like definitely if I'm doing demo, I have a couple like white-coated nonsticks that are great for demos. I wouldn't say it's like the best nonstick on earth, but like it looks, it's very good for if you're really trying to watch the color. If you're a beginner, if you have a lighter colored skillet, you can do it in that. You're going to cook over medium heat till the sugar's partially liquefied, maybe three to four uh-huh. minutes. And then you're going to whisk. Do you have a favorite whisk brand? Not at all. Okay. And then the sugar melts. You cook it until it's copper colored and begins to smoke. And at this point, we're not whisking anymore. We're just letting it do its thing. Yeah, there's no harm in it. We okay. talk a lot about crystallization with melted sugar. People get nervous about that. But I find that to be, and again, I'm not I'm not an extreme pastry expert, but I find that to be only a risk when you're doing a water caramel where ah. you start with sugar and water. That's where you have the risk of crystallization. It's So stirring isn't really the issue. It's more that if you stir too soon, I feel like you get these big crystally chunks. Um, not like crystallization, but like you get these chunks. They're sort of harder to cook out. But if you wait till midway, 
whatever chunks form immediately melt in the puddle that's there. Perfect. So you don't have to worry about brushing down the sides with water. There's not like don't stir it or it's going to ruin the pot. You can completely stir it. You just don't need to. You can just look at it. You can tilt it or whatever. And see the color. Great. And then you're going to remove it from the heat and quickly stir in walnuts. Do you have a favorite brand of walnuts? Absolutely not. Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. Love it. Trader Joe's. I mean, if we grew up near Walnut Harvest, I would probably have a favorite farm for them. But I don't really see that a ton around here. Can you put other nuts in this if you wanted to Absolutely. do pecans or, or something else? allergies. I, don't, I want to be honest, I haven't tested this with sunflower seeds, but that's one of my favorite swaps if nuts mm. is not an issue. Seeds are, I just didn't test this exact recipe with sunflower, and I want to make sure they're not too crunchy, but I think you'd be, certainly wouldn't be bad. Okay, yum. But and an oily nut is nice here, like walnuts or pecans. Okay. You're going to scrape the brittle onto the smaller baking sheet that's been lined, and you're going to quickly spread the brittle as thin as possible using a spatula. Do you have a favorite spatula? I mean, I have a few small offset spatulas yep. from a, a Teco brand, mostly because yep. they've lasted for 10 or 14 years. And would you, would you use an offset here rather yeah, than like— Yeah, I would use like, offset, yeah. If yep. you have it—and I think I do warn people that there's nothing bad's going to happen if you don't—because it's going to get thick really fast. But nothing bad's going to happen if you don't spread it very thin. It's just a little chunkier to break up. Right. And then you're going to sprinkle with a little flaky sea salt, and you're going to chill in the freezer until solid, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, or stick it in the fridge if you have to. It'll be more like 30 minutes. Yeah. Then we're going to move on to the chocolate chip cookie dough. You're going to beat together your butter. And I love this tip. You say that you don't need to soften. Some, because sometimes for people like me who are like wildly impatient and you forget to soften your butter, it's annoying to have to wait for it to soften. But yeah. you say in this recipe, doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be softened before you mix it unless you're using a hand mixer. A exactly. stand mixer can 100% soften, make fluffy, etc. And some hand mixers can do it too, but I don't want to be responsible for your hand mixer dying yes. if I tell you that it's okay. <laughs> I would say if you're doing a hand mixer, do more like quarter-inch chunks of, <laughs> yeah. of butter just to be a little gentler on the motors. Yeah. And was that true for all cookie recipes, would you say that you can I would so say so. So you almost never will soften your butter. That would require planning ahead. Right. That's not me. And the other reason is that my kitchen is very warm mm -hmm. and my apartment's very warm. My apartment's very warm in the winter because we have steam heating. And my kitchen's very warm in the summer because I don't have an air conditioner in there. So you take those two things. It's always yeah. warm. For me, to start with cooler butter and really cream it, you I have a lot more time before it gets too soft or mushy or oily steaming. If I start with colder butter, the whole dough is colder. Nice. If the goal is... To have a cold dough in the end, like if cold is good for the dough, it makes sense to start with really cold butter. Yep. Let them, and if so many people have stand mixers these days, go let them do what they're good at. Yep, that's their job. So you're going to add brown sugar and granulate it. And here there's a little bit more brown than white, which, mm -hmm. like I've said now a couple of times, is a little different than the Toll House, which had the same amount. Why did you choose a little bit more brown than white for I just here? I feel like it could handle it with flavor because it's a pretty dense cookie and brown sugar adds softness. You've got some more wiggle room there if you're trying to soften up the cookie. Nice. And then you're going to add some flaky sea salt. Well, first of all, is there a brand of flaky sea salt that you like? I mean, Jacobson's wonderful. I yep. probably have a big thing of Meldon at home, but it doesn't. Anything you like. I wondered first why not kosher salt and then also why now? Because I usually add salt when I'm adding spices or I'm adding leavening, and I wondered about the choice to put the salt into the cookie now. I really don't understand why we wait to add salt. Genuinely, I'm like, let's go see, flavor that butter. Yeah. Let's go get that in at the bottom layer. Like, I, yeah. let's build, let's make that butter loud. So yeah. I just feel like I don't, I think that we wait because we consider it a dry ingredient and we're risking that or sifting the dry ingredients separately. But once you've thrown it out the window, 
I don't want it to cause people more mental energy where they're pausing and they have to consider it because it's so unusual and it requires more thinking and therefore the recipe doesn't seem easier. So that's something I think about probably too much. But I, I really do like adding the salt right with the butter. And well, sugar. you know what? And when you say it that way, it makes sense to me because I always add my vanilla with the butter because I've always heard that fat carries flavor. So yeah. put your flavor in when you add your fat. Mm-hmm. So salt is a flavor. It's how you're seasoning your food. And your let's baked season goods. that butter yeah. that's going to permeate. And remember, think of all the wonderful baked goods that are made with salted butter. We do not consider salted butter standard in this yep. country, mostly because it's inconsistent from brand to brand. So yep. bakers don't like writing recipes for salted butter. But it makes sense to just season it from the beginning. Yep. And a reason that you didn't use kosher here? I just think that the texture is really nice. I will say, though, the big hurdle there, though, is that flaky salt is incredibly hard to measure by spoon. Weight's ideal. Just go with your gut there. Okay. There you go. So that's all getting in the stand mixer until the butter softens and it gets somewhat fluffy and lightened. Medium speed? Probably. Okay. I think for a long time I didn't understand when a recipe writer sometimes leaves out an instruction like it says stir, but it doesn't say what the tool is. Or it says beat, but it doesn't say the speed. You begin to understand that's giving you, the reader and the maker, a little bit of agency because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Stir with a spatula, stir with a wooden spoon. will only tell you what to use if you use something else that would be problematic. Otherwise, you end up with a 10,000-word recipe with just every possible option, which I think is reassuring in some ways. But I think for something like this, where people have been handling chocolate chip cookie recipes without a ton of instruction for a long time, I don't want to make it. Agreed. Unlike any other cookie you're making. Agreed. You're going to add an egg, and you only add one. And just mm-hmm. out of curiosity, a lot of recipes, the Toll House included, calls for two. Why one? I don't like what two eggs do. <laughs> Tell us what they do. I felt like it's too cakey. It was, it was too solid. It was too. It just wasn't what I felt like I needed. When you think of something, an egg-free cookie, you're thinking of like a shortbread, something very tender. So I love tenderness in mm-hmm. a cookie. So more, I feel like more egg, it does a lot of good things, but it might have less tenderness. Mm -hmm. It seems a little too fussy, but would you ever like what that all recipes recipe did and throw in a yolk? Definitely tested that way. Okay. Mostly because I want to know. I want to know if it really changes it. And sometimes I have had to add an extra yolk, but fortunately this was not one of those places. And then vanilla. Can you share a brand of vanilla? I've been making my own for a while. (laughs) I'm otherwise not very loyal to a particular brand. For extract, I will really use anything from yep. McCormick's to, you know, Samassi. I tend to like their their other, like, I feel like they have their very popular bourbon vanilla, and I love, I think it's their Tahitian one, and their mm. Mexican one are probably mm. my favorite. Like, Yum. if you get a sampler set, you yeah. can smell them all, and they're all really good. But I'm not, I'm not particularly loyal on vanilla extract. Now, we're going to add our dry ingredients. Mm-hmm. Now, you do this trick, which I have completely... Not stolen from you, but borrowed from you. And even in Snackable Bakes, in my beginning of the book, I say this is Deb Perlman, and I love her for this. But tell us about how you add, because right now we're going to begin adding some of our dry ingredients right into the wet. Tell Mm -hmm. us about this technique. For me, this is how I one bowl things. How can I one bowl a cake? When we talk about like a cake or a cookie, we're usually sifting or whisking the dry ingredients separately. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to distribute the leavener throughout the flour so it's evenly distributed. That's the main thing. So once you understand that that's why things are separated, I started playing around with not adding flour and then baking soda, but like baking powder, baking, add the leavener directly to the dough or the batter, get it really well distributed. I always say, beat it more times than seems necessary. We're going for like full and complete disbursement into there. And from there, 
you've just one bold it. Now you can just add the flour freely. That's the last ingredient in most of my recipes. It allows me to get things done in one bowl, which makes it the kind of home cooking I want to do. And it just seems now when I think about taking out another bowl, like most recipes start with get a bowl, put in your flour, your leavening, and your mm-hmm. salt, whisk it, set it aside. I'm like, no. <laughs> and there are some cakes where that careful addition of flour and alternating with liquids can make a really nice difference in between having a cake that's okay and a cake that's special. And I think it's good to be aware of where we're not going to do that. But for this, this is definitely not one of these. We're not building a cake here. We're building a cookie. So it doesn't need that floofy layering. I love that. Now we're going to add right into those wet ingredients. We're going to add the baking soda and the baking powder. And I did want to ask why, again, Toll House, just soda. What does the powder do here that you like? You know, it's interesting because in most things, I go baking powder these days. It's more consistent. It's more reliable. You don't have to worry about interactions with things. It's a very great and solid and reliable product. It came later than baking soda for a reason. Most old-fashioned recipes only call for baking soda because baking powder didn't exist. Once baking powder existed, that said, I think baking soda browns a little bit better and it gives you a little bit more. It can give you a tiny bit more spread. So sometimes with something like a drop cookie, you want a little bit of both in a way that I don't feel is necessary for most cakes. We're going to beat thoroughly, just like you said, when you add those the leavening, you want to make sure it's really well distributed. You're going to scrape your sides. Now you're going to add your flour. Brand of flour? I'm probably using gold metal a lot. Bleached or unbleached? I think I use either, or I use King Arthur. Okay. And just until a few flowery patches remain. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to grab that brittle out of your fridge or your Mm -hmm. freezer, and you're going to smash it up with a mallet or the handle of a chef's knife or the bottom of a heavy pot. Mm -hmm. I love that I have so many options. Mm -hmm. Into little bite-sized chunks. And as you said, if you didn't get it as thin as you wanted before it went into the fridge or the freezer, don't worry. It's just now you'll be doing a teeny bit more smashing if it's a little thicker. Then we're going to add that, and we're going to add bittersweet chocolate chips. So first of all, I love that you're asking for chips and not for bar chocolate <laughs> because I'm like I like have a love letter to chocolate chips in my last book just because I understand the beauty and power of a bar of chocolate I do I do I do but it is really easy and nice chips have come so far regular grocery stores have these beautiful like large I mean I understand I live in New York and this is in every grocery store everywhere my mother always reminds me that her grocery store may not have what mine does but I feel like there's a lot more variety even like the Trader Joe's where we can get these larger chips or more bittersweet or yep. higher quality Because of that, I don't think that we have to automatically reject chocolate chips. I also felt that I had a giant hurdle inside this recipe, which was this brittle. And so I wanted to keep everything else, no egg separation, no nothing. There was one fussy, like one hurdle recipe. Honey, that that is why I love you. And that's why everyone else loves you. I love you. We're thinking about the hurdles that, yes, you're exactly right. I'm not saying it can't be a two hurdle. If the best version of it is a two hurdle recipe, but I didn't feel it was so essential here. Yeah. Also, bittersweet chips are really nice against this, you know, because you're adding some, the sweet and brittle. No, makes sense. Is there a particular brand of chips? No, I'm not. I mean, I love Guitard chocolate products, Mm -hmm. but I can't always find them. Yeah. And the mixer is still on when we're mixing in the brittle and the chips. Yeah, because it can break up the brittle a little bit, too, if you've got a good stand mixer. Perfect, perfect. Now we're going to scoop the dough into three tablespoon-sized bowls. Mm -hmm. Do you use a portion scoop? 
I do on this one, I happen to have a scoop that's about three tablespoons, and so I just use that. Mm. It's a little smaller than the bakery size, but I did feel like it's like it was really the right size for this. I used to love making my chocolate chip cookies small. And then I was like, well, we're just eating two of them. So I might as well just make them what I consider, like, to me, the bakery size is a little big for one person. So I wanted it to be, I'm not saying you can't have two, and I'm not saying we never have two. But for me, I wanted one piece to be, like, a nice, you know you've had enough cookie. Yeah. Or, like, it's, like, a good a good, good amount size. where you would not immediately need to reach for a second or feel like you completely need to lay down because if the bakery was so yeah. much. Like I feel like so I think I feel like a quarter cup, which would be a tablespoon more, is when you're kind of getting mm-hmm. into bakery territory. So yeah. that three tablespoons and most recipes are either two or four. So I exactly. love that you chose yeah. two. Three. was like I just found that with the two we would be reaching for another. And plus you do I did learn a lot from the lead in the bakery studies, which is that you do get a little better texture. You have a little more that you can do with the texture with a slightly larger cookie. But yeah. I felt like this was really the right size. Yeah. I tried it all the other ways. I love that. And is there a portion, a brand of portion scoop that you use? No. I mean, okay. I probably have OXO brand, but yep. I'm not um, wedded to it at all. Yep. You're going to bake in a 350-degree oven until the edges are golden brown and set, but the centers are still a little soft, mm-hmm. 10 to 12 minutes, mm-hmm. kind of a deep golden brown at the edges. Cool on the pan, which is on a wire rack. For about five minutes and then serve warm, although you did say careful because molten hot caramel is not going to be so nice on I your tongue. I do write recipes like somebody who gets a lot of emails, don't I? <laughs> like you can you're tell re- sometimes. You're ready. You're ready. <laughs> My weird unpopular opinion. I do. I could. I appreciate a lukewarm cookie, but I actually don't love hot desserts. Yeah. Like a steamy cake. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You want it to just... Maybe I'm just never cold enough in my kitchen to appreciate a warm dessert. It might be climate related. (laughs) And I love this. The note on the bottom of this recipe says two important things. The first is that, look, this recipe does not call for resting, chilling, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it. But, I mean, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I think you say, yes, the cookie will be better because it will be more craggly and less puffy. And I said that the photo here is a second day cookie. Yeah. And I hated it because I want it to, I completely, I tested it and developed it as a same day cookie. It's great. Yes. I will say the texture is just a little more ripply, a yeah. little more cohesive. Yeah. A little less poofy yeah. on the second day. And so are you saying a whole 24 hours? Or do you think yeah, even more? overnight is fine. Overnight. Just, just that few hours in the cold, just I know like it. where it hydrates. What I think in those situations is I'm going to bake off a couple because I just – I said I wanted cookies. I'm eating cookies. But I'm going to try to save the rest to have the next day experience. And I think – I hope I do. I warn about like if you're going to take them from the fridge, let them warm up a little bit. Yes, I've, you do. I've broken every scoop I've ever owned. Yes, on yes. Cold, cold well, would you ever scoop and then rest? I do that often. Yeah. I certainly always did it with the elite ones yeah. just because it was a little easier. Yeah. Um, yeah, you definitely can. There's yeah. no reason not to. And then the other thing you mentioned, which I want to flag and give Erin Clarkson a little shout out, is oh, you mentioned the cookie scooch. Yeah, the scooch, because she's the first person I ever saw do Me the scooch. Me too. I think you're friendly with her too. Yes. And I've told, you know, and it's like, and I, I think a lot of people were doing the scooch after her, and that's okay, I yes. guess. But it's really nice if you know where it came from to talk about where it came I from. I 100% agree. Tell us what it is, and so, also tell us why it's especially good for this yes. cookie. Because I otherwise, I'm not Erin. I'm like, her stuff is so beautiful, and I am not a perfectionist at all. <laughs> like, you know, and I 
love what she does. Because there's caramel in the cookie, you might get little dribbles that spill out. And if that bothers you, you can just go grab. So what the cookie scooch is, is you take a cookie cutter or a glass that's larger than the cookie. Right when it comes out of the oven, you put it over the cookie and you just circle it around. You can use it to kind of bump the edges into a clean, neat shape. Erin makes it to make these beautiful cookies. Um, Do we say Cloudy Kitchen? Oh, yeah. Erin is from Cloudy Kitchen. She is. Drop the name because her baking recipes are so good to make these really beautiful, like, domed cookies and it's beautiful. I wasn't going for that shape. I mostly just wanted to make sure that if you had caramel bits that leaked out and and if it bothered you, you could bring them back in. I find that happens more in the first day bake on that cookies than the second day bake. There's a little less dribbling out. Interesting. Yeah, I love that technique. I 100% learned it from her. I think I still remember when, a cookie event she did. It really is amazing Mm -hmm. at taking, even if there isn't a caramel issue, if you make a cookie and it just doesn't have exactly the shape you want. And you know what I use? I forget the brand, but it's basically like round biscuit cutters in a million different. Yeah, I have. That's what I have. Yeah, and I take the largest one, which is probably uh-huh. I'm using my hands right now, listeners, but I think four inches or something. And it fits <laughs> over exactly every every cookie. And literally, you just very gently... The only thing I would say is move quickly because depending on your cookie, they do start to set. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I don't want my cookies perfectly round, to be honest. That's why I was like, I'm just doing it just in case you've got like a real spill of caramel. It doesn't happen that much, but I just... You may not want that. Yeah. So you could just bring it in and then scrunch that caramel right up to the cookie so you can get an extra crunchy bite at the bottom. I love it. Well, thank you so (laughs) much for chatting with me today, Deb. I just want to say that you are my cherry pie. Oh, thank you very much. I'm very honored. That's it for today's show. Thank you to Plugra Premium European Style Butter for their support. Don't forget to subscribe to She's My Cherry Pie on your favorite podcast platform and tell your baking buddies about us. She's My Cherry Pie is a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network and is recorded at City Vox Studio in Manhattan. Our producers are Carrie Diamond and Catherine Baker, and our associate producer is Jenna Sadu. Thank you so much for listening to She's My Cherry Pie, and happy baking!